Peace be with you. I've already been introduced. would like to introduce my wife, Andrea. She's holding our four-month-old Mila. Our two-year-old Makai is in the back, um, climbing on something, jumping off something, I'm sure. Uh, but, but I'm humbled to be here to bring the Word of God to you on this morning. Uh, we will continue our sermon series through the book of Exodus. And as we said each week, the Exodus is our story. It's the history of God's people, and the Exodus is for our instruction. The Bible invites us to apply this narrative of Exodus to our lives today as 21st century Christians. Before we get to the text, I want to take us back through Exodus 3, 13 through 4 and 20, just so we can get caught up and make the verses that we'll talk about today make a little more sense. So Moses is to gather all the elders of Israel and tell them, that God is going to deliver Israel. But God tells Moses that Pharaoh isn't going to allow it. Moses meets with God. He receives the call. Now it's time to go back to Egypt. Moses' obstacle is his disobedience. He quickly displays his fears and anxieties and doubts. Moses reminds God that he's not eloquent of speech, but God knows this. Moses asks God to send someone else in my place. And in this story, it's not that God couldn't overcome Moses' disobedience. It's that God wanted Moses to want him more than he wanted anything, to trust God more than he trusted anything. And God wants the same for us. He wants us to trust him with the easy things in life and the very very difficult things. Moses is giving a mission, a task. He's to go to Pharaoh. We also are given a mission. We are commissioned. We are to make disciples. We won't do this perfectly. Just like Moses wasn't called to perfection, we are not called to perfection as believers, but rather we're called to obedience and repentance. And in the mission of God, obedience is success, and success is obedience. God was calling Moses to be obedient. If we are obedient to what God has called us to, then that is success for us. Remember that God didn't send Moses to Egypt without first equipping him for the task at hand. If you're a believer today, you have been equipped as well. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is at work on the inside of you. So the main point of of this text, these verses, 21 through 31, if I had to put them into a sentence, that sentence would say this, is that we are purified and prepared for mission by the blood of the firstborn son. We are purified and prepared for mission by the blood of the firstborn son. As believers, our hope hinges onto Christ. Remember that Christ was never a plan B. Christ was always the plan A. We will talk about Moses, but remember that Jesus is the greater Moses. In Exodus, we read about a Passover lamb. But Jesus is the perfect lamb without spot or blemish and will be our ultimate sacrifice. So in this story, we have a few people that we'll talk about. And I want you to ask yourself, who are you in this story? Who are you in this story? And in our society, we always want to be the hero. We want to be Superman. We want to be the hero of the story. But for the believer, we champion Jesus. Jesus is the hero of our story. Jesus leads us from being slaves to sin to joint heirs with Christ. 
We'll look back a few verses in verse 18. We see that Moses gets his blessing from his father-in-law Jethro to see if he could go back to Egypt, to see if his brothers were still alive in Egypt. Jethro tells him to go in peace. God reassures Moses that the people that were seeking to put him to death in Egypt were all dead. Moses then starts to Egypt with his family, his wife and children on a donkey on their way to Egypt, staff in hand. So our story today starts with Moses going back to Egypt, the place that he was born in, the place that he fled from after he killed someone, and now he has to go back with this very daunting task. He has to tell Pharaoh to let his people go. We read in verse 21, and the Lord says to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that have put in your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let my people go. So God wanted to display his power with Pharaoh being this opposing force. Moses is to tell Pharaoh to let his slaves free. To Pharaoh, they were slaves, but to Moses, they were his people. The people were, who were enslaved were great in number and could accomplish great things at the hands of an evil Pharaoh. Moses goes to Egypt to oppose a very powerful Pharaoh with a staff, but this was no mere staff. This staff signifies God's presence. Moses has the presence of God with him, and he is equipped with powerful signs. God says that he will harden the heart of Pharaoh. What does it mean to harden that God was going to harden his heart? We see this in other places in Exodus. We see it in Exodus 7 and 13, also 8 and 15, that God will harden the heart of Pharaoh. What we do see here is that God is able to showcase his power over the enemies of his people. We cannot fully know why God hardens the heart of Pharaoh, but we can trust that the plans of God are good and for his glory. Can you trust that the heart of God is good? Ultimately, God can do whatever he wills with his creation. We, we see this in Romans 9, 13 through 18. We won't go into the complexities of these verses, but we'll look very briefly at Romans 9, 18, where it says, So then... He has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. We see the hardening of Pharaoh's heart in order to fully reveal his power and to save and execute justice on behalf of his firstborn son, Israel. Pharaoh hated God. He hated the people of God. God is now showing his people, his firstborn, how much he loved him. God could have allowed Pharaoh to let the people go without resistance, but he doesn't do that. God chooses to use evil for good. And in this instance, it will be very clear that God is the agent that allows the people of Israel to be set free. We read in verses 22 and 23, Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn, and I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn. God tells Moses to go to Pharaoh and say, thus says the Lord. 
Moses is to say, the authority on which I am speaking. These are not my words, but Yahweh says, Israel is my firstborn son. Israel is my heir, my treasure. I love Israel. This appeal would have upset Pharaoh. Pharaoh thought that he himself and he alone was the son of the gods. Pharaoh is ordering the death of Israel's firstborn sons. God flips it on Pharaoh. God tells Pharaoh, let my firstborn go or I will kill your firstborn. In other words, Pharaoh, you will pay for the genocide against God's people. I will execute justice if you do not stop what you are doing. We see in this passage and throughout Scripture that all of life is precious to God. The unborn, the firstborn, the secondborn, all of life is precious. But here we see that Israel is God's firstborn. God has set Israel apart to be a blessing to the nations. God wanted Moses to explain the sonship of Israel to Pharaoh. God wanted to free his son to worship him. The firstborn is a theme that runs throughout Scripture. We see this from Adam to Abraham, from Abraham to David, from David to Jesus to all the saints. God does this to contrast Israel with the world. God gives them commandments to set them apart from the world. As believers today, we are the saints. We are set apart we are set apart to love God and love a neighbor. God is the initiator of this love, though. God first loved us. He showed love to Israel when Moses says to Pharaoh, let my people go so they could be free to worship God and be a blessing to others. Then we read verses 24 through 26. So we move 440 one miles from Hattiesburg to Houston for me to preach about circumcision. So just bear with me as we get through verses 24 through 26. I'll read it again. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. It was then that she said, a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. The central theme of this passage hinges onto the phrase, a bridegroom of blood to me. What we see here in these verses is that we are purified and prepared for mission by the blood of the firstborn son. In the Old Testament, the firstborn was required. And in the New Testament, we have Jesus, the firstborn for us. We read verse 24, the Lord met him and sought him to put, put him to death. Why? Moses did not keep the covenant. The theme of the last two chapters is that God has chosen to remember and faithfully keep the covenant. But Moses does not do this. We see this covenant laid out for us in Genesis 17, 10 through 14. I'll read the first verse of this and then the last verse. This is my covenant with which you shall keep between me and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. The last verse, any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. This passage shows that God remembers his covenant promises. 
Not only should we remember the promises of God, but we should keep them. God commands them to circumcise their sons. And if they didn't do this, they would be cut off. The Lord sought to kill Moses. Why? Because he did not circumcise his son. We see Zipporah stepping in and circumcising Moses' firstborn, Gershom. And because of the blood of Gershom, Moses was purified and still enabled to go on his mission by the blood of his firstborn son. And in this passage, we see that God wants more than just a piece of us. God wants all of us. The beauty of this passage foreshadows that for those of us that are in Christ, we are circumcised. We have been given a new heart. The Exodus is our story. We see, this, we see this circumcision language again in Romans 2, verses 28 through 30. For no one is Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. The cliche phrase is not what's on the outside, but what's on the inside counts is significant in this case. The circumcision of blood is a foreshadowing of our future salvation. It sets up the salvation of Israel from Egypt as it prepares Moses to be not only one who passed through water on dry ground, but also one who already knows God's ability to save through blood. The life of Moses was saved through the blood of his son. Zipporah shows that we are only right with God through blood and his covenant promises. Apart from the shedding of blood through circumcision, Moses was no different than the Egyptians. Likewise, as Christians, we know that apart of the blood of Jesus, we are no different than unbelievers. We have been given a new heart. We are purified and prepared for mission by the blood of the firstborn son. The firstborn son is Jesus. If you don't know who this Jesus is and what he has done for you, I hope a summary of Ephesians 5, talking about the bridegroom, will help you. These verses describe how marriage should look between the bridegroom and the bride. We see this, that Jesus has done what we couldn't do. He lived the life that we couldn't, died the death that we deserve. He rose from the dead. He ascended and sits at the right hand of God and is active in our lives. Jesus is active in our lives. God has allowed for us to give a glimpse to the world of what it looks like to sacrifice for the good of another through marriage. We see what is supposed to be a beautiful representation of this in Ephesians 5, 2 through 28. I want to summarize these verses. Essentially, these verses say that Christ is our Savior. Christ is the head, which means that everything else is body. The church, the body submits to Christ. Husband and wife both submit to Christ. Husbands are supposed to model their lives after Jesus, the bridegroom. Jesus gives up his life for the church. Husbands are to do the same for our wives. The goal of marriage is to get our spouses prepared for eternity. If you're single, marriage is a call to sacrifice. Not to get something from someone, but to sacrifice for someone. Jesus did this for us. 
We are called to die to our selfish ambitions and sacrifice for the greater good of our spouses. But realize this, marriage is not the goal of life. Loving God above all things is the goal of life. Married, single, love God and know that we are purified and prepared for mission by the blood of the firstborn son. What is the mission? To demonstrate the gospel and declare the gospel with words. Moses experienced the mercy of God through the blood of his son. Then we look at 25, the Zippor took a flint and cut her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. A bridegroom is the husband, but the ultimate wedding is yet to happen. Jesus is the bridegroom, and the church is his bride. The bridegroom will return for his bride, and no more blood will be required. Our sin debt has been paid in full. We see Zipporah's example. Zipporah acts faithfully, overcoming her headstrong husband. She did the circumcision here instead of Moses. Moses was walking in utter disobedience. His disobedience could have led to him and his son being cut off from God. This wasn't like forgetting to to pay a bill. This was forgetting that what you did as far as circumcision ensured that you and your offspring would be blessed. Moses experienced the covenantal love of God but didn't uphold his covenant. God always upholds his covenant. God always holds his end of the bargain. God never lets us down. And 26, we we read, so he let him alone. It was then that she said, a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. Moses' life was spared. Moses was purified and prepared for mission by the blood of his firstborn son. Similarly, Jesus is the greater bridegroom of blood shedding his own blood to save his bride and providing a more meaningful covenant sign than circumcision through his own blood. Then we get to 27 through 31. The Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. And he went and met with him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak and all the signs that the Lord had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed and they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction. They bowed their heads and worshiped. Now the the journey to Egypt continued. Now Aaron enters the picture. Aaron was sent. He was told to meet with Moses. They met on the same mountain, the very mountain that God received the call to lead the people out of Israel. Horeb, the mountain of God, also called Mount Sinai, was their meeting place. Moses tells Aaron all that God had commanded him. Aaron obeyed God's call. Aaron and Moses both went before the elders of Israel and told them what God had done in their lives, thus fulfilling what God had commanded them. And just as God promised, the elders believed God was faithful. 
Moses was worried about the meeting, but God proved again that nothing will stop the mission of God. Nothing or no one will stop the unstoppable God of the universe. That was true then in the time of Moses. That is true now for us in the 21st century. What does that mean for us today? God says that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The gospel is how people know about Jesus and the church is the vehicle that takes the gospel to the people, whether that's in our local context or us reaching the nations. If you belong to the church, you belong to a people who have been commanded to make a disciples and build the church. That is done through sharing your life and sharing your faith. We have been called to demonstrate the gospel and to declare the gospel. The final verses of this passage end with what we will be doing for all of eternity. It ends with them worshiping the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It ends with them worshiping the God who creates and sustains the world. Verses 30 and 31 end with doxology. We see Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that they had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshiped. The chapter ends with worship. The people praised God. They were still slaves, yet they worshiped because of what God was going to do. They didn't let their current circumstance determine the amount of joy that they had. Their joy was rooted in God and not in things. Things change, but God does not. God is the same today, yesterday, and forevermore. They felt and knew that God had heard their prayers, and it led them to worship God. God pays attention to us. He hears us. He sees us. He knows us. He got involved in their situation. God got involved in our situation. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were dead in our sins and trespasses, we were made alive together with Christ. The Exodus story is our story. God doesn't call us to live comfortable lives, but rather lives marked by faith and repentance, lives marked by inconveniencing ourselves for the convenience of others. We have been given the ministry of reconciliation. We do this by meeting the spiritual needs of others and also the physical needs of the world. We are called to demonstrate and declare the gospel. Do you know the good news? Is it so good to you that you want to tell other people about it? Do you know Jesus? Do you know the Jesus that says that I am the door? I am the vine. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Do you have a high view of God? Do you see God as a loving father who sent Jesus to die so that we could get God forever? The believer gets God forever. That is the goal of our lives to worship God for all of eternity? Or are you the opposite? Do you have a low view of God? Do you see God as someone who sits high and is waiting for you to mess up? 
God knows the state that we are in. We were born in a sinful world with a sinful nature. That is why Jesus had to come. But look in this story. Look who God uses. Someone who disqualified himself. Someone who doubted his own abilities. Remember, if Moses was used by God, we can be used as well. We are purified and prepared for mission by the blood of the firstborn son. When God sees you, he sees you through the lenses of Jesus, believer. He sees you through the lenses of Jesus. When he looks at the believer, he sees us as the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus. We are prepared for mission. We are spirit-led, trusting that God would lead us to make much of himself in our local context and in the world. The blood of the firstborn, Jesus Christ, makes amends for our sins. Our sins are no more. God has forgiven our past sins, present sins, and future sins. And this isn't a license to sin, but a reminder that God has canceled the penalty of our sin debt. On this mission, we aren't called to be perfect, but we're called to faithful obedience to God. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that Exodus, the Exodus is our story. God, we long for an Exodus from this world. God, we long to spend our eternities with the God of our salvation. God, we long for days with no more death, no more disease, no more sickness, no more persecution, no more peril. We long for shalom. We long for peace. God, give us this longing. God, for us who are in this room, God, give us the desire to tell others about the good news of Jesus. God, give us a burden to share our faith. God, help us to love people so much that we risk embarrassment, that we risk being made fun of, being talked about, being persecuted for the sake of them knowing the God of the universe. God, help us to long to make much of you regardless of how difficult that is. God, help us to trust you when things are going well and when things are difficult God, we know that you work all things for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. God, lead us in this way by your spirit. God, in our neighborhoods, in our city, and throughout the world to make disciples who make disciples, to demonstrate the gospel and to declare the gospel. Lead us in this way, Jesus. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.